1: Yes it is and welcome back as we head into our three of our daily 3-hour tour because he is that good and the times demand it uh for a second appearance this week on the show Brandon J Weikert is joining us he's the author of Winning Space How America Remains a Superpower he is the publisher of the Weikert Report theweikertreport.com w e i c h e r t and a columnist for any number of important journals including Asia Times, where uh, he has a piece that uh, I believe was just put up or or just, um, if I'm not mistaken, just published today. We'll we'll talk about it. The topic, of course, is America and Europe. Uh, To refine it, it's uh, America, Europe, Russia and Ukraine. Brandon, um, today was the day that Russia went what appears to be all out into Ukraine, and uh, Joe Biden uh, did a press conference, uh, spoke a little bit about it, took a few questions. And I have to tell you, I want to start here. <clears throat> you can say and address this however you want, but uh, the, the, the address the, um, the taking place on the grounds uh, in Europe however you want. But Joe Biden said two things that just don't make sense to me. One is these sanctions will take a long time to affect Russia and its economy, and two, that what we have done to Russia is a very dramatic and perhaps the most dramatic thing we have done ever to Russia or the Soviet Union. Uh, It's a three-week at least pass, and if it's going to take that long, uh, what's the point of it at all?
2: Well, the bottom line is, this is a non-serious response. Okay. The the issue the issue that we needed to address if we're gonna do the sanctions and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we did the sanctions but it needed to be done before the invading began because that's what deterrence means. It means that you threaten your enemy with a reprisal so big it deters or stops them from going through with hostile action. Uh, Jake, Sullivan, You have a good memory. Deterrence.
1: We did talk about that a couple weeks ago. Yes. You're absolutely right. Yes, yeah. you know,
2: Jay, Jake Sullivan, uh, who's this supposed guru of foreign policy from all the Ivy League background and everything, and his, his team have clearly forgotten the definition of deterrence because they keep using that word, applying it after the yeah. invasion. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. Then there's the issue of SWIFT, the SWIFT Banking Network or system, that is the so-called nuclear option of all economic sanctions to use against Russia. You use that, you're basically sending Vladimir Putin's regime into the dark ages, and there's no coming back. And there's going to be a whole lot of downside effects from that in the long run. But in the near term, that might have been the thing to have stopped the invasion. However, Putin did not seem very deterred even by that passive threat, the passing threat that Biden made a week or two ago when he, when he mentioned swift being used against Putin. The reason is, they didn't say this, but the reason is because SWIFT is a predominantly European institution. right? And a majority of Europe receives or does a lot of trade. They're very exposed to heavy amounts of trade, not just with energy, but agriculture and an assortment of other goods with Russia. Which means if we got Europe, we'd have to get Europe to do it in the first place. If we had the kind of leverage we used to have over Europe, and we actually got them to do the nuclear economic extension, of breaking Russia away from Swift. It would be the, the akin of doing a mutual assured economic destruction, not just on Russia, but on Europe. And the Europeans, clearly, are not going to let Joe Biden blow their economy up. no matter how nasty it mean Mr. Putin may be. And so now we're being humiliated double in double time here, humiliated by the Russians in real time and then we're being humiliated by Europeans behind the scenes who have no problem letting Biden go out and beat his chest to the Russians publicly, but behind the scenes won't actually pull the trigger on SWIFT. Biden and his team should know that. I don't know if they do. Today, I think, was their come-to-Jesus moment uh, when they realized that, uh uh-oh, we're not going to be able to do the big nuclear option, so we're going to try to spin it where we're really doing even more than what the Europeans could do by removing...
1: Russia from Swift—that is a lie. I, I knew it was. I knew it. I knew it, and I'm glad you yeah. said it. I saw Joe Biden today. He couldn't answer. Two different news organizations tried to ask him why he wasn't engaging the Swift program or protocols. Or <laughs> he can't. Yeah, and he, he wouldn't can't. answer. He would not answer. He just said it was the we time. We now with, have oh,
2: another his limit. An, oh, he, he did have time. one
1: answer that you, you you just pointed out was hogwash. His answer was, "What we're doing is much stronger." Than, right. than, than engaging right. and,
2: and ultimately stats ultimately um, what's going on in Ukraine is abysmal it is horrific um, and I know it's not popular to say this but I'm gonna be the guy to say it um, Ukraine is not a NATO member and so what we are doing right now and Putin started this thing in the last you know three months it's his fault that we're I mean we did things over the last 30 years to get us in this position to get Ukraine in this position but in the last few months definitely this is Putin doing this. Um, but Ukraine is not a NATO member. And so whatever the American elite should be asking, is it worth courting nuclear war with Vladimir Putin, who increasingly has little left to lose when dealing with the West, over a country like Ukraine, which is a democracy, and they are our friend, But it was also rated the most corrupt country in Europe two years ago. Uh, And so we have to be asking these questions, Uh, is what is going on, is it worth courting a nuclear war with Putin? And he, by the way, this morning came out and explicitly said that the risk of nuclear war is going up the longer that this crisis goes on. Putin is moving nuclear forces into the Russian controlled enclave in Kaliningrad, which is territory between Poland and Germany that was captured in 1945 by Russia and is held still. Putin has moved the Zircon hypersonic missiles into that theater of Ukraine, meaning that he now has the ability to attack directly American assets in Europe as well as European targets with a weapon system against which we have very little defense presently. Uh, and Putin also is threatening a robust cyber war, as well as space warfare being waged upon our systems and Europe's systems, should the United States and NATO go through with their plan of basically funding and supporting a, an indefinite uh, Ukrainian insurgency against the Russian invasion when and if, likely when, soon that happens. And so what American leaders need to be thinking is, hey, look, we've got these real restraints imposed on us, not just by reality or by the Russians themselves, but apparently by the Europeans, who won't even pull the trigger on SWIFT. And now on top of that, we've got Putin, who's a madman, risking and threatening nuclear, cyber, and space war. Are we really going to risk the whole thing on Ukraine? Or should we be reinforcing NATO and trying to get everybody back to neutral corners to kind of live to fight another day while we rebuild our strategic defenses? Because that's the problem. We're weak. And we're also led by weak men and women, and Putin knows it. And so risking nuclear war right now over this issue in Ukraine, a family matter between Ukraine and Russia, is very, very irresponsible, I think, considering what's going on.
1: What a, what a great opening, Brandon! Um, boy, I, I I wish every student in a college classroom could have listened to that. We're going to spend some time unpacking some of what you said, mm-hmm. or most of what you said. I'll start with this. By the way, take yourself off the hook. You say I I know what I'm about to say is unpopular, and you said you know Ukraine is not a NATO member, and and thus it doesn't uh, require or trigger the same kind of reaction uh, that the U.S. would be engaged in with a NATO member. I have to tell you, I mean, the polling I'm looking at, the people I'm hearing from and talking to, um, they are looking at the Ukraine with sadness. Uh, They're looking at the Biden administration with wonderment, confusion more than uh, it would be the better word, a little bit of confusion, a little bit of head scratching. Um, But I don't think anyone uh, I have heard from or read – uh I, I, I don't get the sense that there is a, a a a large swath or a large segment of our population that wants us to put boots on the ground in Ukraine. Um right. but I could be wrong about that. It just seems to me that 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 most people are where you are on this, Brandon. Most people.
2: Right. Well, the recent poll that I read was twenty six percent of the American yeah. people. Only 26 percent support any kind of direct military action.
1: Now, uh, that it's, have... that, now, that in and of itself, I mean, this raises why I really wanted to talk to you. And we'll, we'll unpack what you said in your opening salvo as well. But this really does get to the heart of a serious question here. And it's a serious question Americans are, gonna have to be bra- br- br- are going to have to brace themselves for because this is happening on television in live time, more so than Vietnam and Iraq. Um, are we just going to watch in semi-slow motion are we going to watch in semi-slow motion the gobbling up and the swallowing up of Ukraine while we sit here seemingly helpless? i got to take a quick break. Can we talk about that on the other side?
2: Absolutely.
1: Delight to ha- delighted to have Brandon J. Weikert with us, columnist for The Asia Times. He writes at American Greatness, The Washington Times. He is the publisher of The Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com. I'm Seth Liebson coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. We will be right back. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest, among other things. He is the author of the book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. We're not looking like such a superpower today, Brandon, which is attached to the uh, it's a comment attached to the question I posed just before the break. Are we consigned to basically do nothing at this point or not very much as we watch Ukraine get gobbled up?
2: Well, um, yeah. Yep. Because we have so totally misplayed our hand here. Um, you know, we were very arrogant for the last 30 years. Remember in the 90s, as uh, my favorite villain on the X-Files, the, the cigarette smoking man. Oh, yeah. Said in one one of the episodes, haven't you heard, there are no more Russians anymore. Right. Uh, that was sort of the, the right. mentality of the American and Western elite mm-hmm. in the 90s. We had a very friendly man in Boris Yeltsin who very desperately wanted the to be The end of history, America. we were told. Yes. But unfortunately, and Boris Yeltsin warned Bill Clinton in 94 at the NATO conference in I think it was in Bucharest, in which he said, uh, American and Western policies in the former Soviet space of Europe risk igniting a cold peace rather than a actual peace, because you are inflaming longstanding historical Russian fears of being encircled, invaded, and destroyed by foreigners. You have got to respect the Russian concerns, at least you know, pay homage to that so that you understand that, that we are a country still, too, and we have strategic interests as well. And we spent all of the 90s and early 2000s sort of micturating on any agreements we had made with the former <laughs> Soviet Union or or with the Russian Federation. And so we're surprised now, A, when the reaction was Vladimir Putin and Sloviki's rise. We're surprised then after 2004, George W. Bush, Tries to overthrow the somewhat pro-Russian government of Ukraine, which was a non-starter for Putin. We're surprised when 2007 rolls around, and in response to uh, NATO leaders at the Munich conference talking openly about absorbing Georgia and Ukraine into NATO in front of Putin, Putin suddenly goes crazy and starts attacking Georgia and then spending the next few years targeting Ukraine. Taking to Ukraine in 2014, ultimately, when Obama tried to overthrow uh, with the Euromaidan revolution, a relatively pro-Moscow regime there. And then we get upset when, again, Joe Biden, who spent the entire 2020 presidential election to say nothing of his party, making up these salacious allegations about Trump and the Republicans being Russian puppets, uh, you know, suddenly 2021 rolls around, and then Biden is in charge, and then Russia's sitting there going, we're going to be at war with this guy. We better hit him before he hits us. And then, oh, by the way, as that's happening, Biden goes to uh, Europe in April of last year and says to Putin, I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm going to waive all those sanctions that mean Trump had put on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline linking your natural gas to Germany. So here you go. The moment that that happens, We lost leverage over Germany and therefore Europe, which is why it's Europe sticking it to us really on standing up to Putin rather than Putin himself. It is Europe who is undermining us at every turn, specifically the Germans, the French, and even the Italians. They are the three because they are benefiting the most from the trade and energy deals with Russia, and we helped them do that. And now they're looking around going, we're not going to cut ourselves off. And I would remind your audience, you know, the neoliberal elite in Washington are going, yeah, well, Germany stood up. They they stopped that pipeline. No, they did not. They suspended it. They did not cancel it. As our friend Michael Pregent says all the time, words matter. Cancellation and suspension are two different things. That Nord Stream 2 pipeline is done. It is ready to receive energy. It will start, I think, in the next probably a year, the Germans are anticipating this thing will cool down, and when it does, they're going to immediately turn the spigot on and get that natural cheap gas flowing from Russia to Berlin. They're not going to do anything significant or long-term to damage that, which is why the SWIFT sanctions aren't going to be in place, and it's why America is now a passive spectator. Europe is closed to us.
1: Let the record reflect that I thought this was the only talk show in America that used the word micturating. I am convinced it is the <laughs> only talk show in America where the host and the guest have now used that word over the public airways. <laughs> Brandon, that, that was that was really smart. And I don't want to pick at a wound here, but I guess I kind of have to as you're running down the list of European allies, as I stumbled through that word. Um Kind of kind of if you're Poland or the Czech Republic, uh, you might want to you might want to think that, boy, that missile defense, the Obama Biden administration yanked out of their countries might have been a little bit more, uh, shall we say, comforting or just about now. Uh,
2: Yes. Yes. Um, um, I think it's important to understand that in terms of uh, you mentioned Poland. Yeah. Uh, In in terms of Poland, um, they are the tip of the spear now uh, in the new whatever this conflict is with Russia. Uh, and so we are going to have to support Poland and the Baltic states, not only against Russia and even China, we see this with Lithuania right now, going toe-to-toe with China over trade issues and human rights issues, we're going to have to uh, also to protect those Baltic states away from the rapacious Germany and France, who do not want to see Poland become the center of gravity in the European Union or NATO. And so now... We're going to have to reinforce Poland, and we're going to have to give them the weapons and whatever they seek, uh, not just to protect against the Russians, but also to let the Western Europeans and the Southern Europeans who are stabbing us in the back know their place. And by the way, this is the end of the so-called European consensus or alliance.
1: Yeah, I, was uh, get, have, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I and I and I and I love and I'm happy to see Poland. I mean, they may not love having this thrust upon them. But I'm, I'm I'm happy to see Poland as our greatest ally in that region. But what I what I'm concerned about um, is if uh, Putin does, and I and I think it's more of a when will he complete it than an if. When he does take the full control over Ukraine, he's already pretty much got Belarus. I mean, aren't we talking mm-hmm. about the Baltic stakes being? I mean, yeah. what is there to stop him? Yes, yeah. I guess the way so, I'm putting yeah. it.
2: So. So yes, so here's the deal. Um, our friends on the right, many of them, have gone somewhat flirtatious with Putin. I don't understand it, um, where they're now saying that well he's going to stop with Ukraine. Had he stopped? With oh oh, do with we have Ukraine, some of
1: that? Okay, I, I missed it, but I I can I can imagine who and how. Okay, yes. go, ahead. Yes. go ahead. Yeah,
2: the usual stuff. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and so and I'm not going to name names. Yeah, from America, I get it. But, um, um, at the same time, though, I'm not a neocon, so I'm not saying let's go to war with Russia. But, right. you know, there's a middle ground here. I'm a yep. realist. Yep. Um, so, but at the same time, uh, we have to understand that had Putin stopped at eastern Ukraine, which was my initial you know, hope, worst best worst case scenario, yeah. that would have given us hope to say, okay, there's a reasonable buckaroo in, in Moscow. He's going to stop at the Russian-speaking part. We can live with this. But it's very obvious he's not going to stop there very obvious he's looking at Transnistria and Moldova. It's very obvious that he's looking also as far north as the Nordic countries, uh, Sweden and uh, Finland, yeah. both of whom are not NATO members, but are now running toward NATO. Yep. Uh, he's also looking, as you say, from Belarus out at other Eastern European former Soviet states. And what Mr. Putin is saying is but, and, and I mean that I'm, I'm not saying he's Hitler, because thankfully he's not as bloody-minded as Hitler. Um, but Mr. Putin is very similar to both, to both dictators in Europe in the 1930s. Mussolini starts taking the initial tranche of territory he says he's going to take. He looks around and says, my goodness, the West is not going to stop me. Why would I stop myself? I might as well keep going, you know, keep pressing on and see how far I get. So now we have to worry because he's clearly going to take Ukraine, the country as a whole. Whether he can hold it is another problem. But he's clearly going to try. And we're now going to have to look and be worried that uh oh now this guy now this guy really wants to go for broke and restore the whole of the former Russian Empire in Europe. Brandon, uh, let me pause you there
1: because I yes. got to take a quick commercial break. Of course, and we'll pick up on that because this is this is a hugely loaded point you're making and a great historical perspective I want to engage on uh, in with you. I'm Seth Leipsin. He's Brandon J. Weikert. Weichert. W e i c h e r t is how he spells his name. We the Brandon is his Twitter account. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest, among other things, a geopolitical strategist, and analyst, uh, author of Winning Space, How America Remains Superpower. He has a couple other books in the pipeline coming out soon. Uh, on the specific regions um, that uh, we are going to talk about a little bit later. But, Brandon, I believe you to be right. I believe it right to say Putin is not Hitler. Nonetheless, um, there has— More
2: like Mussolini.
1: Okay, fair enough. More like Mussolini. Nonetheless, uh, if ever there was an apt comparison that everyone after 1938 was making— I mean, we're pretty close to it. We're pretty close yeah. to it. The only thing we're missing is someone actually, some world leader actually saying, OK, you can have the Ukraine just this yeah. far and no farther. Well, but we've effectively
2: the way, there's, said that. There is a, there's a chance that that is precisely what Macron of France and Schultz of Germany and possibly to a lesser extent Biden himself either has directly said privately to Mr. Putin's people or has indirectly communicated through their really shabby actions in response to the provocations over the last three months from Russia as it relates to Ukraine. Uh, there's that. Then there's also the greater question of, um, you know, you give him a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. That's and right. It's looking, like, it's looking like Putin's now saying, I can extend my borders all the way to NATO yeah. uh, in Europe and maybe even cleave some of NATO away. Um, we know he's got a big burn in his saddle about uh, Poland always has, always will. Uh, and so we're going to have to worry about that. I think over the next five to ten years, uh, Putin really thinking he can really punch above his weight with Poland, which is why I say, you know, I've spoken to Capitol Hill when I, I was a consultant. The Polish-American Congress brought me out in 2018 to, to brief uh, the Polish um, com- the, the Committee on Defense of Poland. I'm forgetting what they actually call themselves. Uh, but they have a committee in, in the House that's specifically tethered to dealing with Polish issues from a foreign policy standpoint. And it was bipartisan. And I testified to Capitol Hill uh, on my concept for sending limited, non-strategic nuclear weapons to Poland and giving it to Poland for them to control, not us keeping the keys to those things, giving it to Poland. Because that's probably the only thing that's going to keep Russia from really trying to invade. Because right now... Ukraine, obviously not a NATO member, but NATO put a lot of stock in defending Ukraine, at least rhetorically. Putin is cleaving them apart with very little resistance from NATO. Putin is going to be moving in deeper, looking around, saying, maybe I can hit a NATO country or two on the periphery, and maybe Article 5 won't be involved. Yeah. And this is what this is building up toward, yep. challenging Article 5 directly, which is the mutual defense pact of NATO. And one attack, on, an attack on one is an attack on all automatically. And so... We better be watching because after he takes Ukraine, after he takes Transnistria, maybe he goes after Finland. In my book, in the opening chapter, I talk about a possible Russian assault on Finland. Right. Uh, maybe he goes after Sweden or maybe he starts directly targeting NATO, saying, I don't think the, the Europeans and Americans and Canadians and Brits are on the same page anymore. Maybe I can start doing direct attacks on NATO and finally eliminate the collective defense that is NATO. I do legitimize it real quick. As this is going on, I don't know if you saw this morning, a record number of warplanes from China was sent to fly over Taiwanese airspace for two hours. I saw For two hours, Taiwanese Air Force had to chase a large armada of Chinese warplanes out of their airspace. What happens when China starts saying, maybe we can shoot, maybe we can drop some bombs? The Americans are too busy. Russians got got them locked down.
1: There's so much in this. Um, okay, let me try it this way. There's an old saying that America, when America sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. We sneezed pretty hard in Afghanistan, and I think there is a direct line between what the world observed, and by the world I mean Putin, uh, in Afghanistan, to what's now transpiring in Ukraine. And I have to tell you, what's now transpiring in Ukraine has a direct line to what China must be thinking about the U.S. in relationship. To Taiwan. Let me take it. Can I can I pick up on that on the other side of that? Can you pick up on that on the other side?
2: It's also Iran. Also Iran. Yeah, I was going to say Iran
1: as well. Nicely added. Nicely added. Let me uh, have you pick up on that when we come back and we will be right back. Brandon J. Weichert is our guest. Don't go away. And Jay Weichert is our guest, uh, columnist for the Asia Times, geopolitical analyst, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, Afghanistan, and the way we managed it or mismanaged it, Brandon, I think one could say, leads to what's taking place in Ukraine. It's going to lead, as you pointed out, to the, the testing that's already taking place over Ty- uh, with regard to the defense of Tyra- Taiwan. And of course, the Iranians are watching us as well, aren't they? As I'm sure the North Koreans would be.
2: Even to a lesser extent, but it's important to note with Iran, um, and again, our friend Michael Pregen has been all over this at the Hudson Institute, and I talk about this extensively in my new book, *The Shadow War: Iran's Quest for Supremacy*, coming out in the fall of this year. Basically, Iran is a a member of this axis of autocrats led by China and Russia. And in Vienna right now, we literally have the Biden administration giving concession after concession to the Iranians who will not be deterred in any way from getting nukes or from threatening uh, uh, their Israeli neighbors, which is, by the way, everybody's getting on Israel. Oh, you're not giving Iron Dome to Ukraine because Israel needs Russia now, they think, to help them stabilize the relationship with Iran, because as America abandons the region to Iran, Israel needs a big state partner, and Russia's a partner to Iran, and Russia at least is appearing like they want to also have a good relationship with Israel. So Israel's trying not to rock the boat because we're abandoning Israel under Biden. That's the key here. It's not because Israel's doing something bad to us. It's because we are abandoning them to Iran. And Iran is taking corners with certain Lavrov and the Putin uh, uh, regime in Vienna, who is giving them inputs during these negotiations with the Americans, basically telling them, Keep pushing the Americans because the Americans are led by the brainless commander-in-chief who will give away the world if you push him even a little bit. If you just put him the wrong way, he'll panic and hit the chicken switch. And that's exactly what's going on in Vienna because of what happened in Afghanistan and because of what happened in Afghanistan. It's happening everywhere around the world. We pulled out in Afghanistan the way we did. As you know, I said we should have been pulling out in Afghanistan, but we should have been following the model that Trump had laid out which was an actual strategic withdrawal that would have still kept some of our assets in the country to monitor the situation there, to keep our presence felt, and to continue going after the real terrorists in the country. We did not do that. We just yanked everybody out under Biden. And what that did was that ignited ignited the cockpit of geopolitical competition. Central Asia and Southern Asia, where Afghanistan sits at the crossroads, has always been a trigger point for geopolitical competition in Eurasia. And when we pulled out the way we did, that basically lit the fuse. You have Pakistan, you have India, China, Russia, some of the Central Asian states like Kazakhstan and Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. Then you have also uh, so Iran next door. You've got all of those countries now all jockeying for greater influence and position in the heartland of Eurasia, in Afghanistan. And basically, we triggered these seismic shifts overnight, relatively speaking, geopolitically. And now we are being made to pay for it as the ripple effects, as those, the, the earthquake is felt from afar. It may not be as strongly felt, but it's being felt everywhere, from recognizing FARC in Colombia, uh, before the Colombians can actually get FARC to concede terror, giving up terrorism to Iran, to now the situation with Ukraine. And I believe, well, unfortunately, eventually, The situation between China and Taiwan, as well as northern India, and possibly North Korea popping off their their nuclear weapons, as well as developing hypersonic weapons, which we still don't have. So this is where we're at. And it's all because Biden pulled the pin on the grenade and can't put it back in now when he pulled us out of Afghanistan the way he did. Trump would have never done this.
1: Brandon Weikert, this is uh, just so, so, so helpful. Thank you. Uh, How, how well do you think Putin understands American culture?
2: Um, Let let me tell you why. not
1: Not a, not a, not a trick question. I'll tell you why. In his speech last night, He said, we will strive for the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine, as well as bringing to justice those who committed numerous bloody crimes against civilians. I'm just wondering if his invocation, denazification of Ukraine, such an absurd statement, if his if his if his understanding of American culture is, oh, no, call something Nazi and we're against it.
2: Yeah, no, I know why you're saying that, but this is something I've been hearing on MSNBC today to keep going. Why is he talking about Nazis? Okay, so this is not about domestic American politics, not really, in my opinion. Okay. Going back to World War II, the Russians, that, the Second World War, I think something like 20 million Russians were killed by the Nazis in the war. This has left an indelible scar on the Russian psyche. Okay. When, when a, a, a Russian leader, Stalin did this, Khrushchev did this, Brezhnev did this, Gorbachev did this, uh, Putin, Yeltsin did this, and in Chechnya initially. Uh, They bring up, the Nazis are coming, the Nazis are here, we have to go after the Nazis. This is about playing to domestic audiences because Vladimir Putin knows, and our friend Ed Ed Lutwak has been all over this fact on social media, Vladimir Putin knows he has a diminishing population with not a lot of young people, and every time he goes to war, he's sending young men who could have been forming families and giving back to the economy of Russia to fight and possibly die. And so... Every time he sends those young men to a fight in foreign lands, whether it be Chechnya, Syria, or now Ukraine, he's got to have some moral and historical claim to legitimacy to do that. Otherwise, his reign at home will be over because those grieving babushkas and mothers are not going to be happy with little Ivan coming home in a body bag. So he doesn't have the kind of numbers Russia doesn't anymore. They used to have 60, 70, 80 years ago. They can't just throw people into a meat grinder anymore and still come out on top. They've got to be more tactical, more strategic with the deployment of troops. So when he talks about Nazis, that is primarily meant for domestic audience consumptions to say, I am fighting the new Hitler. Hitler was our greatest adversary. He killed 20 million of us. I believe Putin's own father fought for the Red Army in St. Petersburg, I believe, or Stalingrad. He's making a, a historical claim to legitimacy to rally his people to stay with him. Now, does that mean... He's not intending that to be amplified by the idiots in the woke culture of America? Probably, because Putin is happy. Putin knows that America and the West right now are being riven by a cultural revolution, a Marxist cultural revolution, that is tearing our society apart, where anybody who disagrees with the left are considered Nazis. So you might be right, there's some amplification of the message there. but in when he talks about diversification, in my opinion, that is meant to solidify public domestic russian support behind what very easily could become a very unpopular war as much as george war in iraq became an unpopular war for the bush administration and the neoconservatives in 2003
1: brandon j weicker you are a gem i'm so glad we know you i'm so glad you had time for us today god bless you sir Thank 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 you thank you very much i'm seth leibson we'll be right back Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. Parts of the show, of course, brought to you by the good folks at Balance of Nature. Good folks because they give you a great product and they do so on our platforms to help us communicate. If you wonder why, you know, companies like Balance of Nature are on talk radio and some of the television outlets that seem to be more and more on our side. It's because they support you, which is why I am delighted to have us supporting them as they support your health and your immunity with the Wonderful process they have figured out where all they put in vegetarian capsules, all they put, it's the only thing in there, are fruits and vegetables using their unique cold press process. I take it every day. It's kept me healthy for three years as long as I've been taking it. Go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code balance. Uh, We keep talking about serious people, serious people in serious times and that this is an administration uh, void, devoid of that. Here is your former Secretary of State, now climate czar John Kerry, telling the world his concerns about Putin and Ukraine because of climate change.
0: Kind of activity, and I hope diplomacy will win. But massive uh, emissions consequences to the war. But equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose uh, certainly big country attention because they will be diverted, and and, uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So, you know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over-frozen land. Now it's thawing, and his infrastructure is at risk, and the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. There it
1: is. Yep. It's the climate issue that's so offensive right now that to uh, these unserious people. We live in hard times. <clears throat> Donald Trump understood that. I think most Republicans and conservatives understand that. We live in hard times in a dangerous world, and it is a disaster in hard times with a d- dangerous world for the country the rest of that world looks to for help is run by people who are unserious. This is why C.S. Lewis warned about those who, in the midst of a flood, rush for the fire hoses. Again, thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless, and class dismissed.